HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. This is Anastasia. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and before we get started today, uh, I realized that we never really had a last episode of the year. Uh, There was a scheduling snafu, and uh, in the last episode of the year, I really did want to thank everyone who makes In the Drink possible, from our producers, uh, Jack Inslee and uh, Jory Morales, uh, to Aaron Fairbanks, who keeps everything going. going together at uh, at the station, um, all of HeritageRadioNetwork.org and Heritage Foods, and certainly our sponsor, uh, Michter's. We could certainly not do any of this without everyone here. And obviously, thanks to uh, so much to Roberta's uh, for for lending us this space and, uh, and the beautiful smell of the wood-burning fireplace and pizza oven that I get to enjoy every Wednesday morning is awesome. Uh, anyway, thank you so much, and uh, I'm sorry we never got to uh, do this at, at the end of the year. I don't get to thank everyone who makes the show possible often enough. Uh, so thanks, guys. Um, all right, so I'm super excited today. I have... Uh, a, a friend, a, a super uh, nice guy, one of the, uh, the the top guys in the Italian wine world, um, in the restaurant world here in New York, Mr. Jeff Kellogg. He is the wine director at Maialino Restaurant. Um, we had his predecessor on the show as well, Liz Nicholson, um, who worked with us briefly. And uh, and Jeff has been doing really exciting things at, at Maialino. And you can imagine um, a place, if you haven't been, that is a Danny Meyer restaurant, so incredible warmth and hospitality, uh, absolutely delicious Italian food by uh, by Nick Ander, the chef, uh, and real wine chops by one of the top uh, Italian wine experts, uh, top wine experts in the city, uh, a man who got the uh, Rudd Scholarship when he passed his advanced sommelier exam. Uh, he, he's worked on uh, both coasts up in Napa and Michelin-starred uh, Red and La Toque, worked with Raj Parr at RN74. Um, 
And then uh, about a year and, and a little bit more than that ago, moved uh, moved here to New York. New York is lucky to have uh, Jeff Kellogg here. So welcome to In the Drink. Excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Joe. Great to be here. Cool. Did I mess any of that up? Did I get it all? <laughs> no, I'm impressed. I can tell you read the bio. I read I read the bio a few times. Um, Somebody went to Mayalino's website. <laughs> it's uh, it's a uh, it's a great website. Very uh, very complete uh, bio. And you see how many uh, how many people who uh, who are really at the top of the game just work in that one restaurant. It's uh, it's pretty impressive and awesome. Well, I think throughout uh, USHG, really, I mean, the collection of talent is incredible. So much fun to work with. Yeah, I, I bet. Um, okay, so we'd like to start our show with the best wine that we've had in the last week. Um, there is a wine that I've heard Somalis uh, talk about quite a bit. Um, I was actually introduced to this wine at, not by a sommelier, but um, by a local wine shop. Slope Cellars, my favorite uh, wine shop in my neighborhood in Park Slope, Brooklyn, um, is the De More Chablis. And I've been holding on to it. I brought it down to, uh, to D.C. this past weekend to visit my friend Al. Alex Zink, who's going to be opening up a restaurant um, in Washington, D.C. with uh, um, with Jeremiah Langhorn, who's the chef from McGrady's. Um, they're opening up a restaurant in D.C. Uh, in, uh, over the summer at some point, so look out for it. Uh, but Demore Chablis is something that is uh, very hard to find. Um, you see, I think it's one of those wines that maybe Somalis will like not list because it's so, so, so hard to find. I've only heard about it, and it was delicious. A 2012, uh, just their AOC Chablis, and uh, it had like a roundness, a rich a weight um, maybe uh, but without any uh, certainly no no oak on it but it felt like it had seen some oxygen and uh, it was just really intensely mineral and, and delicious I loved it so I hopefully I've given you some time to think about uh, the wine that you've had in this past week Jeff that you really liked uh, have yep. you had Demore Chablis? By no, the- I haven't. But uh. thanks for making it harder to get now by, <laughs> by telling everybody how great that was. Well, all the sums appreciate that. Oh, We're already not sorry. listing it. <laughs> Chablis is definitely one of those categories I miss, only working with Italian wine as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say for a wine that I didn't get to enjoy personally, just got to taste because a guest ordered it, uh, 67 Giuseppe Rinaldi uh, Barolo was pretty incredible. Uh, and it was one of those old Barolos that uh, sometimes you're afraid when you obviously you decant it for sediment. And sometimes you're afraid like, oh, uh, you need to drink this like first hour because you don't know if it's going to fade. Opposite with this wine. Uh, you needed an hour to let it open up. And then it was just incredible. Actually, some other Psalms came in and ordered the bottle off the list. I would say for one, I got to enjoy myself. Uh, speaking of wines that are really hard to get <laughs> and you can barely get any, uh, the Eau Chardonnay from Emmanuel Brochet, who... I think is making incredible uh, champagnes. That uh, uh, Le Mont Benoit is just so chuggable, so delicious. I love that chard- or that champagne. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So I guess you you, you bring up quite a few things that I, I'd like to talk about with you. Number one, your uh, your wine list features some super old uh, Nebbiolo, some super old. Uh, Barolo uh, at at really I think pretty reasonable prices at least especially when you can compare them to other great wine areas uh, such as Burgundy which is the the easiest to compare um, and then also that that decanting in an old Barolo I have I have also found that uh, I, for some reason I found that in 
And just in my, my personal experience, decanting old Barbaresco, they tend to fall off much more easily than, than Barolo. But I had a similar experience with uh, 67 Bartolo Mascarello, um, and I did a tasting at New York Vintners down in Tribeca, and they had decanted that hours before, and I got there, and I was like, no, that's the prize wine of the night, and it's just going to fall apart. And they, it's someone there had had it before, and they're like, this, is, this wine opens up in the decanter, and, and it was totally the case. Um, so... What was uh, so, first of all? Tell us about some of the the old Nebbiolo that that you have on your list. How do you, what what? How do you find it? It's just amazing. And and what's what's the experience like drinking a, a Barolo from the fifties or sixties? Uh, it's in my life, I've only maybe one tiny small handful of, of times had a, a Barolo from the sixties. Sure, uh, you know it was for me the reason that those prices are so low and there's so many old Barolos. Uh, from the minute that I got to New York, and my Lena our goal was to make it uh, the best place to drink Italian wine in New York, which is really hard to do. There's some incredible Italian lists out there. And so all you can do is kind of tailor the list to what you like to drink and the prices you would want to pay. Obviously, you would prefer that they were free, but uh, so I really like that category being much less expensive than any other list. Um, it's definitely hard to source, and to be honest with you, uh, you kind of have to be ready to pounce when somebody, when a seller becomes available where the storage mm-hmm. was great and they make great selections. And sometimes you just have to buy the whole seller at once. Right. So, so fortunate to work with a company where you can pull things off like that. Yes, because you have amazing amounts of offsite storage and uh, a, and a, a big amount of budget, I imagine, to have a list like that. So those are those are nice things to to play with. Not a big enough budget. But <laughs> it never still is. Still pretty fortunate. It never ever ever is. Uh, and it's just amazing that in in Barolo in the fifties and sixties there were really only a, a small handful of producers who were actually bottling wine. Um, so I'm sure at this point you you probably have worked with with most of them. Um, what who are some of the the reliable producers that that you go to? Is it still the great names like Giuseppe Rinaldi? and uh, Giacomo Conterno that, that maybe we know and Bartolo Mascarello. Are there, are there some other names, maybe some wines that, that you don't see that maybe they stopped making wine and you, you can find some older stuff like that? Uh, very much so. In fact, I've been surprised because uh, you, when you're around the wine business for a while, you think you know all the producers and it's not the case at all. Like Once you actually start to learn stuff, you realize that you know nothing. Uh, and so you definitely, both Mascarello's and Conterno, uh, Giuseppe Rinaldi especially. I mean, those are obviously ones that you can count on when they're old, just like you can count on the young stuff being incredible. Uh, but definitely discovered um, some producers that I had never heard of. Uh, Akamaso is one, where uh, those ones from the 70s are uh, pretty incredible. Uh, Franco Fiorina is another one uh, that I had no idea existed, but those ones are pretty great uh, from the 70s and even before uh, Ski Avenza. Actually, the old Borgonios are uh, shockingly good. Uh, I found some back to 27. Mm. And they age Get in- out incredibly. of here. Back to 27. So Borgonio is a producer that um, will release their wines very late. And you might have... Now, actually, I think, uh, release them at several times. So you might have a bottle of 67 Borgonio that was released in 75, and then one that was released in 85, one that was released in 2010, or something like that. Um, and they're somewhat uh, controversial because of their, their practice of uh, removing the cork, uh, perhaps decanting the wine, and topping off with, uh, I think... 
Is it, I'm not sure. Is it current vintage or is it the the same vintage of wine? Uh, my understanding was that it was more similar to uh, Pepe and that it was the same vintage. Same vintage. But you know how these stories go. Maybe that is the case most of the time. <laughs> Maybe sometimes it's current. Uh, you really never know. But I mean, all you can do is. I mean, that's why the information about who it came from and did they buy it original release? When did they buy it? Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? Um, you know, but also luckily with the internet and being in New York, the closeness with uh, importers and distributors, so often you can take a picture of the label, uh, email it to the winery, and they'll be able to tell you most of the time what they did to the wine or when it was released. Or They might not tell the truth 100% of the time, but a lot of times they do. Yeah, and that's a good point because a lot of times those wines aren't labeled until they're shipped, so they'll know exactly. They'll know what it is based on uh, based on what the label what the label looks like. Um, I want to back it up just a little bit. We've had quite a few people on the show who uh, who have who have either worked with Rajpar or are Rajpar. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your experience at, at RN seventy four. What do you take away from working with Rajpar and? Uh, how do you apply that to your beverage program? What did, what did you learn? Uh, how much do you miss Burgundy? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I, as much as I love Italian wine, I definitely do not drink very much at home. Uh, it's mostly Burgundy at the house. Working with Raj was incredible. Uh, he lived upstairs from our end when I was there, and so he would pop down all the time. It's, he would, it's not as if he was working the floor on a regular basis anymore, unfortunately. Um, but... He, so often when you have somebody like Raj, who people talk about so glowingly and he's awesome and amazing, you think that uh, probably not going to live up to the hype, right? But wasn't the case at all. Uh, I will. He's an even better blind taster than people say he is. There's just these, like these legendary. I, I mean, you hear you hear just like impossible wines that Raj has been able to to blind taste. It, it's like legend, and he he really does it. He really does. <laughs> it's uh, amazing. Like da- from the producers that he knows best. Uh, down to the, I mean, vintage, of course, but down to the vineyard. Uh, he just picks up the little minute details for, that each vineyard produces that nobody else catches. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I mean, your experience uh, Raj, at, with, with Raj was certainly rooted in French wine there. Um, when did your interest in Italian wine occur? Was it you got offered this job and you're like, I better study up? Or <laughs> was there something that happened before that, that got you really interested in Italian wine? I definitely had to study when I took this job. Uh, <laughs> to, I mean, you mentioned this before. To be able to run a program of the level that Liz had uh, created... I definitely had to study because there's also so many producers that only New York gets that you're unfamiliar with. Um, but I would say that love for Italy probably started when, uh, especially when I opened up Redwood in Yountville. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willie Shear was the wine director there who uh, is brilliant. He's awesome and so much fun. So I learned a lot from him. Also got to see him build a half California, half uh, Italian list. Uh, and kind of learn from him and see what he did and learn about producers and regions and, you know, things that uh, you had never learned from books, etc. Are there any producers that California only gets that you can't get here in New York that you're like, oh, I wish I could get them? Or uh, I like to think that we have everything here, but I know that's not the case. I can't think of a, a situation where there's somebody that we had in California that you can't get in New York. But I will say you definitely get bigger allocations in California. Yes. There's so much competition in New York uh, that anyone that comes out, you're just getting like three bottles because there's, you know, 
500 more Jeff Kellogg's that are trying to get the same line. Yeah, that's that's a good point. We had uh, Jeff Porter on the show last week, and and they're opening up a Babo up in Boston, and he said the same thing about Boston. He said that he's able to get much more of the wines he wants the most, or the allocated wines at least in in Boston, because there's just not as much not as much competition. Exactly. I had that same uh, conversation with Jeff, and I told him that when I start seeing those massive allocations on his wine list, I'm telling on him for bringing those wines down from Boston. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Um, yeah, another one, I think maybe, uh, you know, two of the best places to drink, to drink Italian wine. And you, you highlighted this before. I think Mylino's so great, not only because it's, uh, not because it's a comprehensive list, but because there are so many great values for just truly exciting and hard to find wines. Um, I am a, Nebbiolo is really my favorite grape. Uh, I, I think that you probably have a, a certain, a certain passion for that as well. You have a Barolo bar. Uh, Tell us about that. How does that work? So every year during truffle season, we always kind of highlight uh, uh, four or five times a year different regions uh, to pour by the glass, whether it's, you know, Highland Campania or Sicily. But every year we always go back to the Barolo Bar for truffle season. So it's a different theme every year. Uh, Last year we did, we were showing off vintages. So we had uh, a span of 40 years and there was 12 different wines from 12 different vintages that kind of rotated. Um, this year, we decided to highlight some of the different communes of Barolo. So the five major communes, plus Verduno, and we just have two producers from each of them. Uh, but we tried to show off the very best producers. So Giuseppe Rinaldi's by the glass, uh, both Mascarello's, uh, Capilano, uh, etc. But also with a little bit of vintage depth. It's not, uh, none of it is current release. So it's not like you have to, not that drinking 2010s would be bad. But it's, uh, we're talking about 99s and 01s, and it's so much fun to work with and get those wines in people's glasses and pair and pour flights. It's amazing, especially during truffle season. Amazing. Uh, you're going to find me at your bar tonight. With, uh, that, I mean, those are all my favorite. Uh, how could you not, not just jump at the opportunity to taste those? And you, you're pouring those by the glass. You have a, a wine preservation system. That's, that's Yeah, it. we have the Enomatic, Enomatic. Uh, behind the bar. Uh, we, actually, we had the same thing in RN74, so mm-hmm. it was fortunate and lucky to come to Mylino and have that same system there to work with. Just a- absolutely incredible. So people can get a, a half glass even, because I imagine a glass of Giuseppe Rinaldi 99 is going to be a, a pretty expensive uh, situation. Yeah, obviously it's not cheap, but at the same, it's uh, 55, 56 a glass, something like that. So in the grand scheme of things, really cheap for that wine. Yes, but yeah, obviously really you can, and that's one of the fun things. I mean, if doing uh, half glasses of Giuseppe Rinaldi next to Bartolo Mascarello next to Giuseppe Mascarello doing those three half glasses oh it's pretty fun to do side by side by side Dude, that, that's too exciting I think I might feel overwhelmed that's so exciting <laughs> um, and then are, are people really understanding are you having a conversation about the, the different communes with, with guests are people into that I mean I, I know sommeliers who have a hard time grasping the, the differences uh between the different the different communes, especially since there are so many Barolo producers who make wine in a, in a wide range of styles. Sure. Uh, so much of it is actually producer-driven sometimes than it is uh, the commune. But, uh, I mean, you're, you know this show. A lot of guests want to ask questions and learn about and taste, oh, I, I want to taste something from Lamora next to something from Saralunga then. 
Some guests want that, and they want to be educated. Some guests just want a delicious glass of Barolo, and, and they don't want to be. So you don't talk about it with them. You just get them a delicious glass. Other people you can talk to and you know, show a couple different Barolos next to each other uh, and give them that experience, too. So just like anything else, it's about tailoring it to the guests, uh, what, they're, what they're there for and what they want their experience to be. And uh, that what's, that's what makes you a great Somali, not just someone who uh, can uh, can memorize and regurgitate facts. Because I think that uh, you know everyone in at, at Myelino and certainly USHG really embodies that, being able to to tailor the experience to the guests. You know, we have to take a quick break, uh, but we'll be back with more of Jeff Kellogg from Myelino uh, shortly. Break song is called Chillin.bat from Rectech. This is in the drink. Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In The Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small. From careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels, to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost-be-damn, taste-is-everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right, we're back with Jeff Kellogg, the wine director of Mylino Restaurant, uh, one of my favorites here in uh, New York City in the Gramercy area. Um, Jeff, I wanted to talk with you about some of the wines that you're excited about, maybe the non-classic Italian wines that you're you're excited about. We uh, we you know we shared a uh, New York Times panel on Pinot Grigio together, um, and you know I think we both approach that uh, w- w- cautiously. Um, but, uh, you know, I think as, as someone who's certainly interested in, uh, in learning more about knowledge, education, and wine, and, and kind of uh, seeking out uh, new and uh, different things, where, where in Italy are you excited about? Have you tasted anything that, that is, is new to you recently that, that's getting you excited? Uh, that's a great question, Joe. Actually, I'm going to turn that question around on you after I'm done. But uh, like in terms of regions that aren't classic, um, and I just had this conversation that I think Alianico in general is kind of mm. maybe the next one that people are going to start collecting, realize how great it is. Hopefully the wines get a little bit better as some investment comes in there. Um, 
I feel as if Sicily is maybe, and I know that's kind of a played out answer a little bit, but I think in Etna, the whites are perhaps better than the reds. Wow. Uh, I think there's some really delicious, car- I think uh, Terranari's white is delicious. Actually, the Grillo from Marco de Bartola, I know that's not an Etna, uh, but that's a white that I just put on by the glass just because I think it's so incredibly delicious. It's so good. The Integer, Integer, that one, or the... They no, it's up. it's a different. It's uh, Grappolo de Grillo. Okay, yeah. I think. I mean, I think that that area is kind of ripe for the next, the the next, uh, the future of Sicilian wine. The northwestern area, uh, they have a long history of wine production, but not certainly certainly not wine quality. Um, but there is some elevation there, especially around the around Eriche, and there's uh, some very windy areas as well, which can which can cool down uh, a vineyard site certainly in the way that um, that uh, high elevation would and, and uh, certainly make it less uh, prone to different kinds of molds and mildews and stuff like that. So I think that, that northwestern area, Marco de Bartoli for sure leading the charge the historic estate but, but high quality and, and looking towards the future um, and they have an interesting grape that they grow up. I, I love Grillo from that area but also Pericone for a red grape can have some interesting results. Uh, I think there's there's more work to be done with, with that grape. Yeah, it'll be fun to see some other people make some uh, still dry wines uh, and see if the wines are as good as those wines are, yes. or if that's just a really great producer that has some good vineyards. Yes, uh, I think so. And then I, I've, I've actually found some wines from Puglia that I've been excited about. Um, it's generally not been a region that I've, I've, I've been drawn to in terms of uh, their wines. I think that some of the wines on the flatter land uh, and maybe a little further south can, can be just a little kind of ripe and, and clunky. Um, but up in the north, uh, kind of abutting Basilicata, there's some hillside vineyards, and there uh, they get some elevation, and you can actually have some some wines that have the ripe fruit that you that you associate with Puglia, but without the really heavy, burdensome alcohol. And um, so the Primitivo up in that area produces like uh, Guttarolo, and um, Dresner has another producer that's up there that I think is really delicious. Did you find those ones when you were traveling there, or when you're in New York having distributors bringing those wines? It the, the latter actually. Um, it's funny when I when I travel in Italy, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the same for you. Uh, I guess I, our guests tend to think that that we find wines while traveling, and I just tend to visit the wineries that I already like and know, and learn more about them, and try to deepen my knowledge because it's it's so much work to get there, so much effort to get there, so much time that, uh, and I really don't like to visit more than two or three producers in a day. You want to give them enough time and really learn about, about what they're doing that if I'm not feeling the wines, it, I don't want to be rude and, and leave. So I just try to go visit the ones that, that, I, that I like. When On your travels, you try to find new producers, go to the same, mix it up. Uh, I might take... I might make some appointments at a place that I don't know mm-hmm. if somebody I think is really smart recommends it. Yes. But no, right. I'm the, especially because we get so little vacation time as Psalms that you want to take advantage and hit all your favorite producers, see what's going on, see why those wines are great, see the vineyards, etc. cetera. Uh, so no, it's not as if I'm uh, an importer who gets there weeks ahead of time to kind of scope the land and, and ask questions and ask around. Uh, we just don't have the time to do that, unfortunately. Don't have the time. And it's also about the, the relationship with, with the grower. You want to 
further build that relationship and, and I, see them. I think the only time that that happens in my case is when you're visiting a producer that you know well, that you've become friends with, uh, and then they, hey, you need to go check out uh, these wines for my friend. Let's drive down there yes. so you can taste these. That's probably the one exception where you find somebody who's maybe uh, poorly imported to the states or not imported into the states yes yes that that has certainly happened to me as well and then they they tend to always be good right they're all, like if you like that the producer generally uh if they're like you got you got to check out my friend they're, they're the wines tend to be pretty tasty yeah, and that's such a great question to ask your favorite producers is mm. who, who are you excited about in your neighborhood but joe i'm impressed that with as much as you have going on when that distributor reaches out about puglia wines <laughs> you still take the appointment that's why you're the best because you don't turn down it. You taste everything. Well, you know, I, uh, I I sold wine for a year for Vinifera, and it is one of the uh, toughest jobs I think in the wine industry. It's very humbling. Uh, people can uh, be disrespectful to uh, to their reps. Uh, maybe I didn't deserve any respect. I was very young, <laughs> and uh, I, I certainly was super green, but. Um, I, I know it's a tough job that doesn't really get uh, any respect. As as wine buyers, it's you have a lot more power, and uh, and it's it, I think it's a really nice thing to be a, a wine buyer. And everyone producers want to suck up to you, and uh, they not suck up to you, but they're really motivated to to have a good relationship with you. As sure. as someone who's selling wine, you need the buyers a lot more than the buyers need the sellers. So they're, they're, it's really such a hustle. Um, and, uh, I try to have a, a good relationship. That being said, I put very strict parameters around the relationship, which I think is healthy for them as well. Um, I try to really outline which kind of wines that I want people to bring. And it tends to just be, um, uh, indigenous, generally indigenous grapes, uh, made by independent producers who like grow the grapes themselves and bottle, bottle wine. And, uh, if they can make them in a, a, a more natural way that's that's generally better and looked you know uh, for, for us but uh and no pinot grigio prosecco <laughs> on our list um and so i think that that within that you know people tend to uh uh, and then after seven and a half years, we, I've, I've worked with enough of the distributors that they know what I, what I want. And I've kind of weeded out the distributors that I don't want to work with. Anymore. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I know that I would be terrible at that job. So I do have respect for, for what they do because I couldn't do it. It is a tough it's a tough job running around the city in, in uh, the cold, hot, rain, whatever. And um, if someone doesn't carrying show up, carrying a bag of point, wine, carrying a bag of wine up and down the subway. It, rush hour traffic and all the stuff it's and, you know one easy. of the beautiful and and they get turned down more than they get, hear the word yes yes which one of the great things about our job is when there's a guest who makes a reservation comes into your restaurant and sits down they're obviously going to buy something it's the best sales job in the world because it's not even sales all you have to do is tailor the experience to what they want show them a great time yes because they're there to eat and drink so everybody leaves in a great mood and it's the best sales job you can possibly have it's so true. Uh, yeah, they have an open wallet as they come in, and it's really what, what the way that we talk to our you know our, our team about is that you're not selling; you're just offering the your the options that that we already have available. So don't look at it as selling. Just say like we have all these options. Wh- whichever is best for you, we're happy to to abide by. That's a really good point. That's a that's a really good point. And how, how have you found the the transition to New York, the New York small A community, the the distributors? What's different between the West Coast and uh, New York City? Uh, there's a lot more sommeliers in New York. Uh, I'm 
really impressed by how many great psalms there are. I mean, I knew that obviously it's New York, uh, but it's incredible the talent uh, that's in New York right now. It's humbling. Every time you go to a tasting, uh, you're like, uh, there's 40 psalms here, and I'm probably the least smart in the room. Like it's, it's, I doubt that's true. It's so, but you know what I'm saying? There's, it's so humbling, uh, working in New York because there's so many, there's no topic you can be the smartest in. Um, but I feel as if I love New York. I'm having so much fun. Uh, there's so many savvy wine buyers, uh, so many savvy guests that come in that know so much about wine that you can still turn on a new stuff because they're excited about it. Um, and I'm for, I literally got here and three days later I started working. So I've just been. Uh, working, 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 and just having fun and getting to it. And uh, the team is so great to work with. Uh, getting to learn from uh, John Reagan is, I mean, in this, in a lot of ways, like working with Raj in terms of how much you can learn. Uh, but like, but John's uh, there every day. So I mean, it's a constant. There's no traveling to Santa Barbara for for Sandy and other. You know what I mean? Uh, so working with John's incredible because he's always there. You can always ask him questions. Uh, he always gives advice, but in no way do you have to take it, which is incredible for uh, mm. a, a company's wine director. Yeah, I mean, it it, it must be a, a, a great challenge for him to work with so many accomplished wine directors <laughs> underneath him. You know, so many people who uh, who really do such a great job uh, running their, their own programs. Um, and uh, and he's, uh, you know, a, a force in, in and of himself, but... Uh, it's yeah. It just speaks to uh, the, the quality of, of of the wine, the whole wine program of, of USHD that that you have uh, that you have John, uh, as well as you know you and, and Juliet and so so many other greats. Uh, the one thing I want to ask before uh, before we get going, uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that you had uh, passed your advanced uh, sommelier with uh, Rudd Scholarship, which is the highest uh, highest score. Uh, congratulations on that. Are you studying for the Master, is this a question that everyone asks you? Uh, you're, you're, you're smiling. I'm sure you get this is uh, in the dining. Ever since Psalm came out, everybody yes. asks if you're a master sommelier when they uh, when they sit down and, and ask for the Psalm. Uh, I'm not studying now. I'm going to sit out uh, 2015, uh, but I do plan on sitting in, in 2016. Yeah. Do you know what happens? People introduce me as a master sommelier. I'm like, no, no, that right. is an actual thing that you have to study for and be way more studious and smarter than I am to actually get that. And I, I think that it's a, it, it, sometimes people who don't know about what actually goes into it can can throw that term around just to, you know, to, to say that someone is a sommelier and they're good at their jobs. So they must be a master sommelier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it is, uh, uh, it, you know, as that, as that film showed it is an a, a very large time and financial commitment uh to do it and i can imagine coming you know to new york and and uh uh that you maybe you want to settle in a little bit uh before before doing that and starting a new job and, and all of that uh makes a whole lot of sense to me yeah the difficult thing about that exam is there's so many uh, guys like you that are uh so much smarter or know so much more about wine than a lot of people who have passed that exam. Nothing's wrong with them. It's just, obviously, you're extremely talented. 
But when you're running wine programs, you don't necessarily have the time to put in all that study because it's a lot. It's a lot of study. Huh? Uh, well, uh, certainly keep us up to date if, if you go for it. We'll be rooting for you. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll be drinking some Barolo uh, and, uh, and other fun stuff up in Mialino. So thank Jeff. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me, Joe. Uh, that's Jeff Kellogg, the wine director of Mialino. Go visit them. Uh, pretty awesome place. And uh, thanks so much for listening. This has been In the Drink on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.